Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello and welcome to Judge Whitical, a podcast by the young, hip, and lay editors of America Media. That lay part means we aren't Jesuits, but we work with them. Join us each week for a smart Catholic take on faith, culture, and the news, often over drinks. I'm Ashley McKinless, and I'm joined by Zach Davis. Good to be with you, Ashley. Yeah. A lot, uh, lot going on this week. Yeah. Um, but I would be remiss if I if I didn't take this opportunity to wish my mother a happy Mother's Day. Oh yeah. So good ha- call. Happy Happy Mother's Day, Amy, and all moms, and Kathy, and all moms out there. Yeah, my mom tends to listen to episodes out of order, so she might be hearing this in July. But mom, I love you. Happy Mother's happy Day. Happy Mother's Day in July, Kathy. Um, awesome. Uh, we got a bombshell show this week. I would say we sure do, and we are having it over tequila. Yes, we were really hoping to get margaritas. Um, our guest this week recommended uh, margaritas for, and just because that's her favorite. And also Cinco de Mayo is happening somewhere in the recording time. Um, didn't find any lime juice or simple syrup or control while we were out. So we have some tequila on the rocks. So cheers. Cheers. And that guest you mentioned was Kelly Sankowski, along with Renee Roden, who are both editors at Femme Catholic. It's a great Catholic website that gives a feminist take on Catholic issues, and they are the authors of a new report titled, What's the State of Maternity Leave in the U.S. Catholic Church? Femme Catholic Investigates. Yeah, this is a really important conversation, but I do want to just say for journalistic integrity that I am uh, related to one of the authors, Renee Roden, uh, at least by marriage. She is my wife, Amanda's cousin. So <laughs> it's a really fun conversation, but also a really important one. They, they've done some really hard journalism work where they've called every diocese in the country to ask what their maternity leave policies were. And Spoiler alert, they're not, not great. Not great. Um, <laughs> not much better than the state of the country. And so we get into why that is, why it's a failure of the church's mission to uh, not offer something that's better and more. Yeah. And in Signs of the Times, we talked to our friend Gloria Purvis, host of the Gloria Purvis podcast, about the leaked draft of the Supreme Court decision that appears to be set to overturn Roe versus Wade and get into how Catholics should think about that. Very big, big turn in American political life. And during As One Friend Speaks to Another, Ashley and I are going to read our personal translations of the Our Father. Oh, boy. (laughs) Ashley is already nervous for it. So stick around for that. But first, we have a few words about our sponsor this week. I have been trying to get better at at being alone with my thoughts. I am constantly distracting myself with TV and podcasts and music, and I find it very hard to just be silent and to meditate, which is why I am listening to Wondrium's course, Practicing Mindfulness, an Introduction to Meditation. No, I am really glad you uh, put me onto this because I also am a big, you know, just fill any type of silence with noise uh, kind of person. And so been learning a lot of uh, mindfulness practices. It's very big right now. I, I'm a, I'm about like five years behind the curve on learning about mindfulness. But... My favorite is there's a course on uh, walking, what, like meditation walking, which is helpful for me. Like I I can't just sit there. I need to <laughs> I need to be doing something. I've seen you are trying to get from point A to point B as fast as possible and people in your way better look out. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I hope this is helping you helping you to slow down some and you know think about uh your emotional well-being. Yeah, yeah. And it's courses like this why we love Wondrium. Wondrium is a subscription video service that helps you become a better version of yourself. Um, and they do that through audio and video courses on hundreds of different topics taught by university professors and they have documentaries to help you learn about the world and so much more. Yeah. And all of Wondrium's content is world-class and credible. It's presented by experts who always know their stuff and it's always ad-free. That's that's big, big plus for me. Yeah, that um, would really uh, interrupt my mindfulness while yes. listening. 
<laughs> yeah, and here's a, yeah, well, like a message from our sponsors. Uh, we want you to sign up for Wondrium too. So sign up now through our special URL to start your free trial when you sign up for the discounted annual plan. It's a great deal. And you need to go to wondrium.com slash Jesuitical. Don't wait to get that discount on the annual plan. It's W-O-N-D-R-I-U-M dot com slash Jesuitical. And now it's time for Signs of the Times, the part of our show where we sift through the Catholic news of the week so you don't have to. And of course, this week we are talking about the bombshell leaked draft of the Supreme Court decision that appears to overturn Roe versus Wade when that decision drops in June. So a little background, there's a abortion restriction law in Mississippi, sets it at 15 weeks. That was challenged and now the Supreme Court is considering it. And Politico published a leaked draft. And that's a pretty unprecedented thing in itself that there was a leak at the Supreme Court. But the fact that it shows that Roe v. Wade may be overturned is, you know, a political bombshell that is dominating the news right now, Catholic or otherwise. Yeah. So how should Catholics think about this? We're going to try to give some initial reactions to that. But just a quick disclaimer, we, we've we only got about 10 minutes to get through this right now. Um, and so we're not going to, you know, have an extensive conversation about uh, Roe v. Wade, the pro-life movement, abortion in that time. I uh, want to remind our listeners that we did have a really great conversation last year with Caitlin Flanagan from The Atlantic, who's pro-choice. We, we we tried to talk about how to have better conversations around this issue. So we'll link to that in our show notes, but it's definitely worth going back to and listening now. But we did want a little help in unpacking some initial reactions to this week's news. So we're very happy to be joined by our good friend, Gloria Purvis from the Gloria Purvis podcast. Welcome back to Jesuitical, Gloria. Hey, thank you for having me, Zach and Ashley. So excited to ooh, deal with this bombshell because yeah. I was like, what? No, yeah. you, have been, you have been a advocate in the pro-life movement for a long time. So this is something yeah. you have been thinking about for, mm-hmm. for many years. So I just want to know, what was your first reaction when you saw this report from Politico? They lying. <laughs> <laughs> Don't trust it. Okay. I was like, they're lying. I was like, this can't be real. This is they, somebody's trying to punk us, but it's not April first, yeah. so maybe. Yeah. And and I, and I read it, and I was thinking, hmm, well, maybe. And then I was thinking, okay, this is our chance to really lead with love and be creative about how we remake our culture. Okay, so we already know, or if you don't know, dear listener, please know the Catholic Church has already been doing so much in terms of supporting women in crisis pregnancies, families in crisis pregnancy. We are the largest non-governmental service provider in the world, actually. But can more be done? Of course. So I started dreaming about what could be and what is it going to take to get us there? Because yes, while I do want, of course, an increase in the kind of aid that people need for like housing, food, education. I also want to see a wholesale change of the culture. And I'm like, is this our pregnancy pandemic type of thing? Like nobody believed remote working could work until we were forced to do it. Are we also going to now look at other ways of working that are inclusive and and positive for women who are pregnant and mothering and education, all of that? So I, I'm in a dream phase. It's weird because, you know, I, as someone who I was, I've been in the pro-life movement for, well, I'm, I, I guess I was in the movement in college. Now I'm in media. So I, I wouldn't say I'm formally part of the movement now, but yeah. I've been paying attention to this for a long time. And this was such a singularly focused goal of the movement, you know, rolling yeah. back row for, for so long that now that it's here, I'm admittedly like a little bit, you know, obviously I think Ro, it's good that Roe is going, right? Like yeah. it was- this weird law that made the United States like on weirdly more liberal on a social issue than Western Europe, right? Like Western Europe has more right. abortion restrictions than we do in the United yeah. States. Um, and it was kind of a strange patchwork piece of legislation to begin with. But I, I will say, based on the pro-life movement's actions in the last like four to five years in particular, uh, sort of enmeshing itself further with one particular political party and even one particular person within that party, you know, former President Trump, I I am terrified to have a lot of the conversations that we're going to be having, especially these next six months, right? Because this is going to force all of us to talk about it with our our fellow citizens, with our families, with our neighbors. And it comes at a time when we've gotten way worse at talking to each other about any issue, 
let alone one that is such a sensitive topic such as this. So I was like, okay, this is like a good thing, but I'm I'm admittedly terrified for the next six months. Mm. Ashley, what did you think? Yeah, I'm a little I'm a little less apprehensive, I think, than you. I think you know we are already seeing a furious reaction to this. Um, you know, if you are on Twitter, if you're looking at the protests in D.C. and across the country, like tensions are high, feelings are high, and and I think I think. That was to be expected. And I think, you know, it is going to last for a couple of months. But I think I think the things you were talking about, about how, um, you know, abortion has so dominated uh, politics and polarized the country in such a way is a symptom of Roe. We had to it's kind of like breaking the fever. Like we had to get to this this point where this is a huge shift in American politics and it's going to be hard for a few months. But I do think it is going to lead to a more sane place because for the past decades, the extremes have been able to dominate this conversation. You know, on the left, we've shifted from it being a, abortion should be safe, legal and rare to the loudest be, per, voices being those saying, you know, shout your abortion, celebrate your abortion. And on you know the pro-life side, not drawing a moral equiv- equivalence, but, you know, they, the stakes were so high that they were willing to you know, compromise and support someone like Donald Trump, who is a terrible uh, spokesperson for the pro-life cause. And so I I do think this creates an opportunity for that more quiet middle that has complex, sometimes contradictory views about abortion to emerge. And we are going to be having these conversations and people are going to have to put their money where their mouth is. Gloria, what do you think is the role of the church in light of that, like, the the sort of heightened polarization and division that's going to come out of this? For one thing, too much in the church is, you know, Republican or Democrat. We need to just really talk about the gospel and and loving. And, and also, I think we need to break the framing of the ideal mother, right? Because there's so much about being pregnant only within marriage. I think that sort of harms people being receptive to life outside of those circumstances. And so I think we need to really help people understand that a, a family is, yes, while, you know, ideally what we're thinking is mother, father, marriage, all this stuff, there are many forms. And what we want to do is support those families. What we want to do is support the life that is brought forth in these families, however it comes, honestly. While not saying we want to advocate for certain means of procreation that we don't agree with, but what I'm saying is once a child is on the way, a ch- we need to be very much in favor of and supporting these mothers and the children. We speak two ways about it. Like, oh, the best way is for you to be married. Okay, great. And if you're not, something is morally wrong with you or this, that, and the other. It doesn't mesh with accept life under even the most difficult of circumstances, right? So I think we need to really reframe how we talk about family and uh, cherishing life and things like that. Yeah, and I think this is a moment too where... Look, we got to be we got to be frank because one of the most common critiques of the of the pro life cause or the movement is that you don't care about the baby once it's born. Yeah, and I think it's okay to admit mm. there are some people in the pro life movement that that is their sort of like modus operandi, right? They're focused. They are focused on one issue, and there 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 is there are some people, and particularly loud voices, that that is sort of their their way of proceeding. I think it's our turn and our time right now to hold up all the things that we do that that support women and children yeah. all th- through all stages. And we've got to yeah. like put that consistent life ethic front and center and be super loud about that because we, we got to say, look, no, we, we do want to support people through all of these things. We do want to offer women, you know, real choices with supporting life. And so I think that's the church's, one of the church's roles right now. Oh, and one other thing, I would like to see the church talk more directly to men. Also on this issue, we don't get pregnant by ourselves, okay? <laughs> and I'd like to see them talk more directly to men about their roles and responsibilities. And frankly, you know, like they want to shame people, you know, not saying the church wants to do this, but sometimes people want to shame people for showing their shoulder shoulders. I'd like to see a little bit of public shaming of men that abandon these women. <laughs> Yeah. You yeah. know, men that hook up and, you know, hit it and quit it, they need to be, have a good talking to. I really yeah. do. I think too much of the conversation a lot of times does focus on just the female part of it. I, I'd like to see some more attention paid to men. You'll see you'll see tweets pretty often from from pro-choice people being like, 
kind of thinking they're making fun of pro-lifers by being like, well, if you want to ban abortion, you should make the man stick around and pay child support. And what <laughs> yes. like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 100. Yeah, we're with you on that. <laughs> yeah. And I think also, look, there's going to be a lot of emotions that are coming out of this. And I think fundamentally, if if you are a, a, a Christian person, you need to be able to sit with people's fears and, and trepidations and anxieties around this um, in a way that does not further inflame that, um, right? We're trying to invite people into joy, into into considering life. And so that's going to be really tough to do. Um, and so I would just like say, look, if people are trying to have hard conversations with you, it's going to be difficult, but like try to do it with as much grace as possible because- Look, this is going to be in the news for a very, very long time. Well, I kind of, I kind of am shocked at the sky is falling kind of response that I'm seeing from people, especially when you look at California has sixty million dollars that they're setting aside to make sure women do get abortions, and now all these states are talking about becoming abortion sanctuaries and paying for people to travel to their state to have these abortions. I'm like, the battle isn't over. We still got to do stuff state by state, right? So I still think we have a lot of work ahead of us. We still have a lot of work ahead of us. Well, and there'll be lots of conversations ahead of us, but that's all we've got time for today. Thanks so much, Gloria. That was Gloria Purvis, who is the host of the Gloria Purvis podcast, which is part of the American Media Podcast Network. You can find it wherever you're listening to this podcast. So make sure to go over there and subscribe. And now stick around for our conversation with Renee Roden and Kelly Sankowski. Joining us from New York is Renee Rodin, and calling in from Toledo, Ohio, is Kelly Sankowski. Renee and Kelly are editors at Femme Catholic, and they are the authors of the new report, What's the State of Maternity Leave in the U.S. Catholic Church? Femme Catholic Investigates. Welcome to Jesuitical. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. It's Great to have both of you. Um, I figure we could start. I think we all agree here that maternity leave is a good thing. Um, but maybe just to kind of establish for the audience, and you know, I don't know that there are many people who disagree with this, but what is maternity leave and why is it so essential for mothers? Kelly, maybe you could start. Sure. Yeah, I'm happy to. Um, so maternity leave is the period of time after giving birth that a woman would have off of work in order to heal and also care for her baby. And it's important because that is a really intensive period of time. Um, I am very close to this because I have a nine-month-old son, so I pretty recently went through it. Um, and in terms of a woman's healing, there is a lot that needs to happen. You know, women are experiencing postpartum bleeding for several weeks after giving birth. Many women have mental health issues on top of that. 80% of women experience it's called baby blues, so periods of sadness due to hormonal imbalances, and 13% have a more severe postpartum depression. And then, of course, women who have C-sections or more intensive birth experiences take even longer to heal. And then the baby is still adjusting to life outside of the womb. So on top of taking care of yourself, you're going through um, a really intensive period of caring for a baby who is needing to eat every two hours and... Um, that happens at night also. So your sleep is very um, broken up and you're really just trying to recreate kind of the experience of that nurture in the womb. Um, so maternity leave helps women be able to do all of those things and not have to. It's not It's not like a post-birth sabbatical or vacation? <laughs> no, common misconception, <laughs> but um, I can tell you that I definitely did not feel like I was on vacation during those first few weeks after giving birth. <laughs> Yeah, I just so my sister just gave birth to her second child and I I spent the first week living with her and her and her husband are both blessed to have maternity and paternity leave, um, very generous policies. But even with both of them at home and like my family giving wraparound services, like it is an extremely difficult time. And so the fact that what is the statistic in your report? One in four women go back to work after two weeks of maternity leave and yeah. maybe not even paid maternity leave. It, it's, it's it's crazy to mm -hmm. me. So what is the situation in the United States and how is it maybe an outlier in the world? So the United States is a pretty big outlier when it comes to maternity leave policies. 
um, of the member nations in the United Nations. They are the only one, I think, along with Papua New Guinea, that does not offer at least 12 weeks of paid maternity leave. The American Academy of Pediatricians has endorsed 12 weeks as sort of the gold standard. And that's because it takes generally, um, as Kelly mentioned, children outside of the womb are still adjusting to life outside the womb. So people often call those 12 weeks the fourth trimester, right? Like the baby is getting used to life in an environment that's a lot less comfortable and oriented towards its flourishing than a womb. So the United States does have 12 weeks of family leave for people who have just given birth. Um, but the problem is that because it's unpaid, that most people can't take it. So that's where that stat comes in, Ashley, that you were talking about, where one in four women go back to work within two weeks of giving birth, because that's generally the amount of time they can afford to take off, whether that's like vacation or sick time that they've saved up. And this woman that we quote in the report was talking about coming here and the nonprofit that she worked for, which was Catholic, talked about being able to offer her three months of unpaid leave, which is more than 12 weeks. So it was kind of this like additional bonus. But she was the primary breadwinner for her family at the time, and she couldn't afford to take that time off. Uh, And over 70 percent of women in the United States will at some point be the primary breadwinner for their families. So far from being sort of the second income or this spending money or cushion, the work that women do provides for their families, provides for their children. Now, I, to pivot a little bit, you mentioned someone working at a Catholic uh, institution. Uh, I'm sure you both started this report, pivoting to that a little bit, because the church is probably better than the rest of the United States, right? Right? Kelly? <laughs> That's what we would think, right? Um but yeah, so far in the report, we find that it's actually more even in line with a lot of the other organizations in the country. So what is the what are the typical policies that are offered offered at the diocesan level? Maybe maybe we could do the good, the bad and the ugly. Yeah. So the good news is there is good. Um, we reached out to all 176 dioceses in the United States. Um, and of those 176 we confirmed the policies of 62, uh, 94, we didn't get an answer from, and uh, 20 declined to talk to us. Um, But from the information we found, we learned that 32 offer some degree of fully paid maternity leave policies, whether that's five days, I believe is the lowest, or there are four that offer 12 full weeks. So there, but there are only four that you could find that offered sort of what is considered the, the, gold, the gold standard. standard. Yes, right. there are four. It's New York, okay. Raleigh, Chicago, and Omaha, Nebraska. These are the dioceses that offer 12 full weeks of paid maternity leave for employees in their chancery. So we look just at the central offices of the diocese um, because Catholic dioceses are pretty complicated. They're made up of lots of different organizations, and they're often... Um, like they don't always have the same HR policies. They don't always have the same sort of financial structure. So we decided to streamline it to try to get some sort of standardized data and just looked at the central diocesan offices. So that I just want to clarify, that doesn't include like Catholic schools or nonprofits necessarily. It's, it's just kind of like the main diocesan office. Um, yeah, it depends on the diocese. But right, for the okay. Diocese of New York, which offers 12 weeks, that does not apply to school teachers. So we were looking just at these dioceses. So 32 we found offered some degree of fully paid leave. Uh, the shortest amount of leave we found was five days, therefore that offer 12 full weeks. And around also 32 offer some some percentage of paid leave through short-term disability. That's a really common method of offering maternity leave. The other 44 we found do not offer any paid leave. So some sort of FMLA, that's the Family Medical Leave Act that was passed in 1993 that entitles workers to 12 weeks of unpaid leave. So something like FMLA, other states have similar laws that that like that, um, or dioceses just offer their own unpaid leave plans. And generally workers can add in sick leave or use vacation days on top of that to try to get at least a couple of those weeks paid for. And I'm wondering, uh, what does that mean for the women who work in these places, you know, especially the where it sounds like most of the dioceses that you talk to don't offer something like this? What is what's the reality then that ends up happening? 
Yeah. So it puts women in a difficult position where they have to think about how they're going to provide for their family. Obviously, every woman's circumstance and situation is unique. You know, for example, the one woman we talked to, Christine John, who worked for the Archdiocese of Washington, um, she found out that her policy would have given her 60% pay through short-term disability. She found that that would not work for her family, that even um, with the 60% pay, she wouldn't have been able to pay the bills because babies are expensive. There's um, obviously like diapers and food, but even the hospital bills themselves are several thousand dollars with insurance. A lot of times women end up needing to leave and no longer work at the diocese and find employment elsewhere in order to um, have a situation that's more feasible for actually building a family. And how did the diocese explain uh, these policies or lack thereof? Um, I imagine, you know, just thinking about it, not knowing, not having to talk to any of the chancelleries, like they're used to employing priests and nuns who hopefully did not need paternity or maternity leave. You have bigger issues <laughs> if your priest or nun working for you needs paternity or maternity leave. But I imagine they, I feel like at this point they've they've had a couple of decades to try to shift away from mostly clerical or religious employees to lay people. And and like you said, when women don't have this option, they may not be able to stick around and they will take their talents elsewhere. So that turned into a comment more than a question. But so how did the diocese uh, explain this? And, and are they thinking about the fact that they're going to have trouble to recruit the most qualified people if they don't shift gears? Yeah, that's a really great question, Ashley. The number of lay people working in the church has astronomically grown, obviously, since the Second Vatican Council. We tried to find up-to-date numbers on that, and I reached out to CARA, which is a research institute at Georgetown University. They sent me to the National Association for Catholic Personnelist Administrators. I'm probably butchering their name, great people. And they sent me to the USCCB the Council of Catholic Bishops, who then sent me back to CARA in Georgetown. So no one knows exactly how many lay people work in the United States Catholic Church. I think those are really important numbers to learn. And also, Kelly can speak more about this too, but we created in our spreadsheet that we got together of data, we had all these different categories we wanted to get. And one of those pieces of information we thought was really important to know was how many women work in your diocese, right? Like, is there are some diocesan websites you go on the personnel page or the staff page, and it's a lot of men. You're like, okay, I wonder what their maternity leave policy looks like, right? The only diocese who had answers for me on how many women they employed gave me rough estimates. And that's a really important stat that someone needs to find out, whether it's Femme Catholic or America or CARA, like someone needs to know who's working for us. What do they need? One diocese I spoke to said that they did not offer paid leave, but you know they're following all of the labor laws, which is great. We should do that. You know, they said if paid leave were the law, they would offer that because that's the law. And I think there's sort of an important question, right, is looking at the data, looking at how how healthy it is and how vital it is for women to have paid time off to spend time with their children. Um, it would seem like maybe our labor laws are lagging behind the necessary requirements for human dignity or human flourishing or the life of a family. So I think this is something we've noticed where it seems like in a lot of places, when it comes to maternity leave, the church is taking its cues from the broader culprit culture instead of leading with like an authentically Catholic view of what makes human flourishing possible. I think just a couple other explanations we got from dioceses that we can note are, you know, for really small dioceses, sometimes they would say, you know, we just don't have the demographics. There are no young people working here that would need paid family leave. Which, you know, is understandable to some degree, but then, you know, there's always the question of, is that the reason why young people aren't working there in the first place? Is that they don't see Yeah, it seems that... pretty, pretty obvious that that's at least going to be one answer. If you want young people in the future, that you're going to need policies like this. But anyway, anyway sorry to interrupt. No, that's okay. Exactly. Um, and then there are also dioceses that offer really generous kind of sick leave and vacation leave plans. Um, and they point to that and say... You know, people can take all of the sick time um, in order to provide pay during their unpaid leave. And, you know, that has worked to differing degrees. But, of course, that also makes it more difficult for women to take sick time during their pregnancy or 
you know, if they get sick during the first year of their child's life, or if they need time to care for that child when the child is sick. So those are just a couple other explanations that we got. Just to piggyback off what Kelly was saying, she kind of brought up the fact that this is like a chicken or egg situation, right? If you don't have any young people working for the church, why do we need to offer them a maternity leave policy or paternity leave policy? But if uh, you don't have those policies, why would young people choose to work there? And there are several dioceses who had implemented paid leave, whose human resources directors, whose um, chancellors or CFOs had noted that problem and realized, okay, if we want young people to work for us, if we want if we want mission driven people to join our organization, we can't offer them, you know, McKinsey salaries. So what can we offer them that shows them that we care about them and we want them to work here? Um, so really. I do think there are people in the church who are identifying exactly that dynamic Kelly was bringing up and saying, okay, we, these policies are necessary to draw young people to these workplaces. Yeah, that's fun. When you were talking about the church having too much of like a corporate mindset, sometimes I think they don't have enough of one. Like they'd like justify not having an HR department or generous leave policies because they're like a mom and pop shop where they're mission driven. So people are just doing it because they love the work. <laughs> um, and so we don't need to, you know, give them super high salaries or maternity leave. So I'm wondering, yeah, it seems like this is a place where they could take a cue from a corporate world, which has shifted <laughs> in this direction. Well, and I imagine that a lot of people would say, look, we'd love to do this. We can't afford it. Um, but you had an interesting wrinkle about that in your report that, you know, a, a diocese's resources don't always correlate with the the leave policy that they've instituted. Yeah, you mentioned Omaha and New York and Chicago, which maybe New York and Chicago have similar number of assets, but not Omaha. <laughs> yeah, in the data that we gathered from diocesan financial reports, we did some looking at the comparisons between dioceses that offer different paid leave policies. And the four that offer 12 weeks of fully paid have quite a range of different financial situations, um, ranging from uh, 3.8 billion to 71 million, which, you know, those are big numbers, but there's a big difference between those. And there's a lot of dioceses that fall somewhere in between that are not offering 12 weeks of paid leave. So it didn't just, there just didn't seem to be a correlation between what the assets were, and even what the assets per Catholic that live in the diocese were, um, and how much paid leave dioceses offer. So, does that suggest it's a, a matter of will? Like, you, could, if enough people care enough that they could enact policies like this? To some extent, yes. We definitely found that um, the dioceses that did have paid family leave policies noted that there were employees that raised the issue, um, whether they were women who needed it for themselves or if they were just another employee that saw an opportunity for the church to jump in. Um, it really came from kind of grassroots people saying, hey, this is something that we should consider. And I think it was also people who worked at the diocese saying, hey, if we want, if we're telling young people that they're supposed to be open for open to life, um, they're not supposed to use birth control, we're supposed to promote having a family, we need to think about how our workplace culture supports them in doing that. So kind of bringing our pro-life attitude into the workplace policies that we have. Um, and I think that was pretty commonly cited. It was very much like a values decision. And one woman I talked to in Michigan said that, you know, she, she saw there was no reason to not offer paid maternity leave because they'd already budgeted for all their employees' salaries anyway. Maybe they were slightly less productive for a few months or a few weeks. But if you have salaried employees, like many chanceries do, then you can afford it. Yeah. One thing that was interesting in your report is you noticed that um, for the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops, um, you know, kind of like in terms of their policy wings, that the paid paternity leave or maternity leave uh, fell, fell under their domestic justice committee rather than the pro-life committee. So I'm wondering, like, if you're making the case for why this is a, a pro-life issue, uh, what would you say, Kelly? You know, it's pretty clear to me that being pro-life or choosing life as a woman um, comes down to a lot more than the actual initial choice to carry a baby to term. Because it requires having a healthy pregnancy. It requires um, having a healthy 
baby once the baby comes along, um, which means time to care for the baby, time and money to go to doctor's appointments with the baby. Um, and those things are made a lot easier when you have time and financial resources to dedicate to that. And so if the church is going to really promote life and support women in making that choice, you know, you need to have the policies in its own organization that support that and make those um, steps after making the choice of life uh, more feasible. And um, there's actually studies that have shown that paid family leave reduces infant mortality by two to three percent. So it's it's very clear that um, paid family leave really does have an impact in the ability to choose life and sustain life after that choice. And what do you think the the impact of the church not leading on this issue? Not just like meeting sort of the the standards of the world, but 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 not leading on this issue. What effect does that have on the rest of its pro life witness? I think the pro life movement gets a lot of flack for not supporting, you know, anti poverty initiatives or social service programs or something like Medicare for all, right? So if you're gonna really fight to make sure that a child is born, how right? How, as Kelly pointed out, is the mother going to afford the birth, the actual birth that brings them into the world? Um, the average hospital bill for labor is $10,000. And most Americans can't afford a $1,000 surprise bill. Um, so how are they going to afford that? And I think maternity leave is such a crucial moment because it's sort of, it's caring for a woman the moment she's sort of separated from her child, even though she's not really, as Kelly can attest, separate, but sort of the moment that they're two distinct people outside of each other will you still side with this woman? Will you still like stand in solidarity with her and support her? And I think the beautiful thing that maternity leave shows, all the research we found shows is that if you do stand in solidarity with that woman and and value her and and really sort of say it's worth, you know, the resources that we have financially to support her in this moment, it bears fruit in so many benefits not just for her but for her children and for the family. And I think we have to be blunt too because like Look, when people are critiquing the pro-life movement, the, the the thing they often say is that you don't care about the 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 mother or the baby after it's born. And I think you can point to like a report like this that you guys just published and it's hard to come to a different conclusion, right? I think we like to in the pro-life movement point to the heroic actions of individuals that are doing things on the ground and there are lots of them, but when the structures are are set up like this within within the our, our, our churches, right? Which we profess to like really be on the forefront of this issue. It's hard to come away with a different conclusion. And so I think just for like consistency of you know our, our moral integrity's sake, this is a huge, huge pro life and justice issue. Yeah, I think Zach, you just said it's a huge pro life and justice issue, and I I thought that was a, a good segue to bring up the fact that in addition to being pro life, it also very much follows the preferential option for the poor in Catholic social teaching, um, just because um, it disproportionately affects the people who already don't have the resources to take care of a baby necessarily. You know, the people that are most likely to only have access to unpaid leave are also the people who probably don't have the savings to be able to take that unpaid leave. Just to back up Kelly's point, there was one study we found that said Black women in general have four weeks less of paid leave than white women, right? So if a white woman gets 12 weeks of paid leave, then kind of on average, a Black woman will get only eight. And that's really troubling, especially because the Black maternal mortality rate is three times that of white women in the U.S. So yeah, as Kelly said, we've talked about a lot um, among our group of reporters about this being really the intersection of the pro-life movement and preferential option for the poor and also racial justice. So it is kind of at the crux of a lot of these issues. So Zach mentioned kind of like our moral integrity and, and you know, our, our witness in terms of, of these policies. And I think that's a conversation that's coming back to the fore. We're talking to you on May 3rd, uh, the day after the draft of the Supreme Court's majority opinion on uh, an abortion case that could overturn Roe v. Wade. It, it looked like that's where the Supreme Court is going. And so we are now kind of approaching the point that the church and the pro-life movement has been working for, for you know, over 50 years or 
almost 50 years. I, I assume you don't think this is a time simply for a victory lap. What what do you want to see the church doing um, to maybe close the gap between its own policies and its, uh, you know, pro-life convictions? Yeah, I think, Ashley, like you said, the, the work definitely doesn't stop if and when Roe v. Wade is overturned. Um, really, the work starts because that's really when we are going to need to really step up and support women who are making this choice to have a baby. You know, first of all, it does start with the church's own policies, which we've talked about in our report, even just as a model of saying this is how we implement this. You know, advocating for that more broadly is the next extension. Yeah, I think overall, you know, the church does a pretty pretty good job of um, kind of like charitable assistance towards women, but not always as good of a job at stopping the structures that make it difficult to uh, choose life in the first place. And I think that's the the shift that will need to happen um, is to really advocate for, you know, affordable childcare, healthcare that doesn't make you wait in mystery, wondering what your hospital bill is going to be. Um, Because even as someone who you know, was in a privileged position and has financial resources. I remember that month after giving birth and like waiting for my hospital bill and not knowing what it was going to be and being like, am I going to have to pay $500 or $10,000? I don't know. So that's just like one small example of kind of a societal issue that the church could get involved in advocacy around to try to make this a more feasible place to have a baby. Well, I think both of you have done a huge service to building that world with this report. So I want to thank both of you for your reporting. Uh, We do have one final question for you, and we ask all our guests this, and we'll give both of you an answer. Uh, If you could canonize one person, living or dead, Catholic or not, fictional or real, who would it be and why? Who wants to start? I I can go. Um, As a longtime Jesuitical listener, I've been thinking about this for years, so... (laughs) So I am going to canonize, um, Ashley, I think you will appreciate this as a fellow UVA grad, uh, Miss Kathy from UVA, who is a oh dining my gosh. hall employee. Um, <laughs> yes. So her full name is Kathy Magruder. She goes by Miss Kathy uh, colloquially. And she was an employee at the main dining hall at UVA. And she would always swipe in students as they were going in to get their meals. And she was just like the most friendly, loving person who um, she always greeted like every single student with like this warm greeting and often a hug and just like turn people's days around. Um, And I just feel like she really embodies what Pope Francis talks about when he talks about like the saints next door. She just like very much, you know, had a pretty straightforward job that she could have done just like kind of methodically without giving people much thought, but turned it into a real opportunity to love people and acknowledge their dignity. So I would canonize Miss Kathy. Love that so much. Yeah, that's a great (laughs) answer. We had someone like that at Loyola. Her name was Fran. So uh, yeah, you're so right on that. Uh, Renee, who do you have? Um, (laughs) I have to say Peter Morin. (laughs) Um, So most of your listeners are probably familiar with Dorothy Day. Um, so I'm in the 12 people that have tried to canonize her in the past yeah. like, two months on I'm the da- show. Yes. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah, I'm dating a Peter Morin truther. So <laughs> I have to, Peter Morin <laughs> is like the teacher of Dorothy Day. So whenever I explain it to people, um, I always talk about St. Monica and Augustine and sort of how St. Augustine's sainthood kind of radiates out. So you have to, of course, canonize his mother who prayed for him or his teacher, Ambrose, so I've been getting better acquainted with Peter Morin over the past year. And yeah, I think if you take Dorothy Day seriously, she takes Peter Morin very seriously. Uh, and I think we're all like Dorothy looking for people who make the gospel livable. We all want to live the gospel. The big question is how. And I think Peter's really inspiring because when Dorothy met him, she that spark kind of lit and she realized this is how I can live it. Awesome. Well, St. Peter and St. Kathy. St. Kathy. I love that. The title of the report, and it's linked in our show notes, is What's the State of Maternity Leave in the U.S. Catholic Church? Femme Catholic Investigates. Uh, Renee, Kelly, thank you both so much for coming on the show and for your work. It's great to be here. Thank you both. Thanks for having us. I bet you'll come around, but don't get me wrong. Do what you gotta do. 
Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. And now it's time for some housekeeping. If you were inspired by our conversation with Renee and Kelly, we have a little action item for you. They decided to send a petition to the U.S. bishops on Mother's Day. That's this Sunday, May 8th. Don't forget. And they're asking the bishops to prayerfully discern uh, updating their maternity leave policies. So if you're listening to this on Friday, do not delay. You only have two days to get in and sign that petition, which we will put in our show notes. Also wanted to take a moment to thank everybody that contributed their thoughts uh, in our Facebook group this week. I, I jumped in and asked people, hey, we're going to be talking about the Supreme Court in Roe versus Wade this week. Uh, would love to hear your insights or any questions or uh, topics that you want us to consider. And just wanted to say it like greatly informed you know, our discussion with each other, with Gloria, and uh, it's really going to shape how we cover this going forward. So it's we did not get to all of your topics of concerns in those 10 minutes, but this is not the end. Uh, and if other people want to you know, help make the show the way that uh, the listeners that jumped in this week, they can find us on facebook.com slash groups slash Jesuitical. And now it's time for As One Friend Speaks to Another, the part of our show where we talk about where we're finding God in our lives this week. And I'm nervous about this one, Zach. <laughs> <laughs> I, I know um, it's it's you know I I was I'm more nervous than I thought I was going to be. But uh, as a refresher, could you set the stage yes. for our listeners what we're about to do? So last week we discussed a article from America by Nathan Schneider um, about the Our Father and the ways that saints and other people in the Catholic Church have reimagined the Our Father and kind of put it in their own words throughout the centuries. And so we discussed that, and we promised that we would write our own personal Our Fathers. Yes, without some of the thigh, thighs and thous that yeah. are in the one that most of us grew up memorizing. Yes. So do you want to go? You want to go first, right? I guess. Okay. Okay. Ready? Yep. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Dad, you know how much I love you, and where you are is where I want to be. Until I get there, help me to build a home here. I know you want what is best for me and to share all that I have and all that I am with others. Everything I have and everything I am comes from you. Forgive me for when I am ungrateful, selfish, and fail to share my gifts with others, and I will try my best to forgive those who have hurt me. Give me the wisdom and courage to choose what is right and loving, and protect me from those who have rejected your love. Amen. Amen. Well done. I'm proud of you. <laughs> Thank you. What was I, that experience like? Okay, so I, I purposefully put it off to the last minute because as I mentioned last week, I was afraid that my perfectionist overthinking tendencies would get in the way of me speaking authentically. So I really, I got to the point where I had to write it. I had no choice. And so I couldn't have a filter. <laughs> Good. Well, I'm, 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 I'm proud of you. I know this Thank was not you. easy for you. <laughs> Thank you. All right. Do you want to go and then we can chat a little bit more? Sure. All right. <clears throat> Hi, Dad. Beyond me and beside me, I love you. Help all of us to know you, love you, and serve you the way that you want us to. 
Stay with us. Give us what we need. I haven't been perfect. Forgive me. And I promise to forgive the people around me, but I need help with that too. Stay with us. We need all the help we can get, Dad. Amen. All right. Amen. Amen. That was great too. Thanks. It's so it's just like it's so amazing. Human human beings. You look at the same words and you like come up with totally different come up with totally different things. Yeah. I mean there's I I didn't expect to be like so convicted by having to make choices about like how to refer to God Mm -hmm. and like what's the right like what's the right gender you know informal way of expressing the you know they always say Jesus used Abba like which is Daddy Papa Papa. Um, but like how to talk about you know is it my God is it our God Yeah that was what I after reading my own prayer out loud for the first time, I was like, oh gosh, I said I a lot. <laughs> there was no our or us. It was a lot of I. But, and I think part of that was just being like, this is so personal now that I don't want to project how any mm. other person would think about this and talk to God. So I don't know if it's necessarily a bad thing, but I did um, think about whether I was too individualistic in my in my rendition. Well, uh, I, I, I also shared that. But I, I think, you know, just having gone through it and we didn't give ourselves the chance to like edit, delete, and just go away with it. So uh, listeners, if this process inspired you, please send us your translation of the Our Father. It's it's worthwhile, even if you don't send it to us. Uh, sit with the words, write them out, um, and then do your best to rewrite them. Uh, we'd love to see them. You can send us an email at jesuitical at americamedia.org. All right, now I will get us out of here. Jesuitical is produced by Sebastian Gomes with production assistance from Kevin Jackson and Kira Hanlon. Our sound engineer is Kevin Christopher Robles. Faith formation provided by Father Eric Sundrup. You can follow us on Twitter at Jesuitical Show. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash groups slash Jesuitical. Please subscribe wherever you get your favorite podcasts. And if you're on Apple or Spotify, leave us a review. Jesuitical is recorded in the William J. Loeshirt Studio at America Media in New York City. For America Media, I'm Ashley McKinless with Zach Davis. We'll see you next week. 